podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. So it's uh, all for play for still. I think so. Do you want to bet against us? Hi, villains, and welcome to For the Love of Pomegranate podcast. Back again with a tactics talk just after the Brentford game. And you will be delighted to know that uh, I'm not doing it for my car anyway this time. And uh, nearly, had, nearly had heat stroke inside the, um, sitting inside in the car for a half an hour talking about Aston Villa and the, and the team sheet tantrum. So uh, you guys will be delighted to know that I'm back in my room in my podcasting boudoir, ready to bring you some sort of a tactics um uh some sort of a tactics talk uh, <laughs> this, this Sunday for uh, Aston Villa's 1-1 draw against Brentford. And um I think it's a, it's a 1-1 draw that I'm not quite sure what to make of it. Um I'm I suppose I'm happy happy with it, I suppose is the main thing to say with regards to the one-one draw. Look, anytime you come away with a point, anytime you don't lose is a good point in the Premier League. And I know that sounds a small bit corny to say, even against newly promoted teams, but anytime you don't lose, uh, it has to be a good point considering that uh, of all the turmoil that um uh, of all the turmoil that we went through over the last couple of days or the days leading up. And look, I know Dean Smith even mentioned it as well, that, you know, the team that was named on Friday wasn't anything like the team that went out on, on Saturday. And, you know, that has to be jarring for a team manager. And I know that, you know, certain things that you practice, you're not going to be able to just substitute people in and substitute people out with regards to a tactics and a, I suppose, a tactical kind of fit point of view. And hopefully we will get there once the team starts to ferment, as as I like to call it, once we start to kind of get together, gel and um, and become more of a coherent unit. But for the time being, you know, it's going to be one of those things that, you know, if you're going to have, have turmoil whereby three to four players there's that, that you maybe thought might be in around the squad, weren't going to be in around the squad, maybe on a Tuesday or Wednesday, that's going to have a knock-on effect coming into the game. But we're not here to make excuses for Dean Smith. We're not here to make excuses for Aston Villa. It's a home game. It's two points dropped. but um, And I completely understand that. But I think it's a good point as well uh, on the other side of things, you know, um, playing into what we have uh, gone, what we went through, I suppose, over the three to four um weeks previously or three to four days previously um i suppose just little, one or two little points i think just before we uh we start into the tactics talk um and i know there's rob henry thank you so much rob rob has put up if i heard the emmy news i have heard news about emmy whereby the two bundias are going to the to the world cup qualifiers unless anything has changed in the last 20 minutes um and that's anything has changed in the last 20 minutes since I sat down to the computer to try and get, get some things together. Um, what do I think of it then? Noel asks. Um, and yeah, that's what I want to talk about next. So what do I think about two people going to play for their club when we are contractually obliged to allow them to, to leave their contract? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a difficult one for me because I would want to... I want them to play for Aston Villa. I want them to stay. I think that they, both of them have a reason to stay and play for Aston Villa. Um, I think that they have a 
probably a bigger reason to stay and play for Aston Villa. Now, Emi Martinez has just broken into the team and he's seen as a big player within that, within that Argentinian squad and Buendia is trying to break into the team and trying to get to play um, for Argentina. So I can completely understand it from their point of view. Um, uh, playing their point of view, uh, that they would be um, that 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 they would want to go and play for their, play for their uh, their their nation. Now, I don't agree with the you know the fact that there is mitigating circumstances here. There's going to be like a ten day a ten day quarantine period um, for when they do come back. So you know, I'm not okay with I'm not okay with that from the from their standpoint and the fact that. They know what the quarantine period is, you know. So at the end of the day, they're making this decision, and they know that they're going to. They're going. Yeah, I don't know if you guys can even see me. I don't know if I'm still going live, but anyway, there we go. I've got my lights back on again. Yeah. So where was I? So I think there's a bit of a disconnect here between, you know, it, it potentially it, there's a look of them giving two fingers to the club and saying that, well, listen, you know, we're I know you pay our wages essentially, so we're literally going to step out of two games. And I can see there's chats coming in coming in here, um, uh, to say that they're only going to miss the Chelsea game. And like the Chelsea game, I think is something we can get points out of. You know, we've 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 had the kind of the hoodoo over over Chelsea previously. So, you know, I think it's something that we could potentially get points of. So I'm still not happy with them uh, missing the, the Chelsea game. Now that's me with my Aston Villa heart. My absolute my footballing head lends me to say, look, there's nothing we can do. Contractually we have to let them go. So from that point of view, once they're called up by their nation, if they do wish to go for their nation, which should never be an issue, you know, if we let somebody go and play for their nation, it should never be an issue. This uh you know, the best of luck to them and I hope they hope they uh, achieve great things with their nation like they like like Martinez did in in the off season. So I feel like I'm playing both sides with it there and I'm kind of on the fence. But being an Aston Villa fan, I can understand why people are absolutely up in arms and really pissed off over it. Um, but I can understand as well why the club are perilous to do anything about it, you know, because contractually they have to let them go. I can see there's one or two pieces here as well, just, just coming through there because you guys have your finger on the pulse with regards to this a small bit. Um, a small bit more than I do. Rob says the club has issued a statement playing the first two, but not the third game. So then that means that they would only miss the Chelsea game. I suppose, look, it's probably a compromise somewhere in there. But look, you know, when we're the ones who are paying 40, 50, 60,000 a week, should we be the ones that have to compromise? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where I where I sit on that, uh, and I I don't know. You don't you don't want to refuse players the the chance to go play for their country either, considering the the goodwill that's needed throughout the course of a season and so on. And and they are two important players for us. Then on the other side of things, so maybe they should be the ones that should be saying, "Listen, we don't want to be out of the Chelsea game, guys." I think what this what this comes down to is the fact that we're not going to have a full squad for at least another. Like potentially the Everton game, potentially the Everton game, which means that we're five games into the season without even seeing anything like what we're capable of, and that's and that that to me is a worry. But it's not it's not a worry as regards to you know what way the club is structured or what what the club are doing. I don't think it's a negative on the club. I don't think it's a negative on the manager. It's just a pretty crap situation where by injuries, COVID, and now you know, red tape with regards to internationals are really kind of hindering us and and, and hamstring us and, and, and potentially we're shooting ourselves in the foot with the with this one. But the other ones I don't think we did. They're just a very, very unlucky situation, I think, for us. Um 
and, and that's that's true as well, Luke. That Dean Smith seems to promote the importance of participating and representing your country, and it seems like that 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 was the choices therefore up to them. Of course, I think one hundred percent. I I don't think they can actually tell them not to contractually. So, um, you know, it was always going to be a case of, you know get out the small violins, play the guilt trip and see if it works. But at the end of the day, they're proud Argentinian men and it's 100% all right to go and play for Argentina. Um, so look, we'll see what happens. We'll see what way this, what, what side of the coin this one falls down on. And uh, look, looks like it's going to be Jed steering goals against Chelsea. And uh, we're already now two weeks. Uh, we're already looking at a, at a negative coming uh out of the international break when potentially this new, this international break was going to cleanse all the injury issues that we have within the club and maybe let us come back rearing and fighting. But for us, for me, I think it, it, it lends another shadow. So the shadow is going to linger over us for the two weeks, provided no one else gets injured on international duty. And now we're going to come back to this talking point again. And I think the club needs to not have talking points because we've just finished with the Jack Grealish talking point and that talking point is going to, going to follow us for the whole season about can they do it without Jack Grealish? It's very much open season on anybody's take on that at the moment. And now we have another talking point about, well, why did they allow their players to go when that is that shouldn't really even be the talking point. The talking point should be really, listen, why are international games being played in the first place? Um, but look, as I say, each to their own, and, and we'll see what happens from that. Um I think, yeah, so Ad, Ad says that I think all the Argentinian lads called up in the Prem are going, yeah, yeah, they potentially are, exactly, yeah, um, just because, as my mother used to say to me, just because everyone's doing it doesn't mean it's right, you know, <laughs> so um, I, I do come at it from both sides, I know my head says, look, it's, that. look, I, I probably, if I was an Argentinian man and my nation had called me up and I'd just break, broken onto the, uh, into the panel, I'd probably want to go as well because I wouldn't give, wouldn't want to anger my manager and give up my chance there as well, but at the end of the day, for somebody like Emi Buendia, who has just come into the club and just, just beginning to find his feet, this is, there's a knock-on effect for him here at Aston Villa as well, you know, and, um, We'll see what's going to have to come of it. We'll see what's going to come of it. Um, ba, 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 ba. Uh, just looking at some of the comments there as well. Um, cool. Right, so sorry, guys, there. My comments aren't really loading at the moment. But let's talk a small bit about the Brentford game. Um, it was good to talk about that stuff there because it is kind of the pressing pieces at the moment. And uh, also, I suppose let's let's have a little look at um, let's have a little look at, at, at Brentford and how we how we lined up against Brentford. So put together a couple of slides on this again uh, again there lads. So I'm just going to show them up and I'm going to talk through them as best I can. Uh, so first of all, let's have a look at the stats. So possession has gone down week on week the, since we've uh, since the first game against Watford we had lion's share of possession I think it was 53% against Watford we were down 47% against Newcastle last week when we uh, finished even lower again at 46% possession against Brentford now it's a misleading stat I will admit Brentford's a lot of Brentford's possession came playing it amongst their back three and, and into their into Yanlet and, and, and to, to uh, what's his name Norgard 
there in 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 that little midfield triangle that they have there. So uh, while possession is fantastic to have, they were playing with it in disadvantageous areas for them. And a lot of their touches and a lot of their heat maps, a lot of their touch maps are based in around that axis of the three and those two midfielders there. So while we are lesser in possession, um, a lot of the game was played in around that axis. Um, expected goals, we came in at 0.70 and they came in at 0.76. We had seven shots, they had nine. We had five on target, they had two. Um, three, 303 passes to 333. Um, an accurate pass. Oh, there's something wrong there. Those accurate passes can't be right, obviously, because if they only had 333 passes, they can't have had 334 accurate passes there. Um, so that's me forgetting to put in a statistic there. Um, so our past success rate was two hundred over 74%. Theirs was 77%. 21 crosses to seven. And the XG in open play. And I've, I'm going to keep putting this in until it improves because we are not good at creating chances in open play. And uh, it's, it's, it's plain to see at the moment. We are not creating a lot of chances in open play. An XG of 0.18. Um, as opposed to their 0.60. Now, our set pieces as well comes in at 0.52, whereas theirs comes in at 0.16. So um, the one thing I will say about XG, and I'm going to keep on saying it till I'm blue in the face as well, is that with XG, I don't put a lot of faith in it on a one-to-one basis. I don't put a lot of faith in it in a game-on-game basis, except it is important to see where your chances were created from. And this is pretty damning that when we're barely creating any chances from open play, the XG, like the one chance we created was Buendia's goal. Buendia's goal was obviously from outside the box. It was a difficult, um, it was from a difficult position to score in. So we weren't creating we were creating um, clear-cut chances, I think, is the biggest thing to say th- th- that I could say with regards to that. So that's what I use XG for. I don't really put much, um, don't really put much, put much mass into XG. Apart from that, um, I put more into if you're looking at X striker is going to be signed from Y league, then you look at the XG uh, that that striker has based on the league and see if you can expand it in towards uh, the Premier League with regards to similarities of players and similarity in shot creating chances and all this. And you can build out, I'm not going to say you can build out an algorithm or whatever, but you can just build out, build out a little table and see what, what corresponds. So there is something in it from that point of view, looking at a big sample set over the course of a league or a league uh, season um, for one player. But when you look at it from a team, uh, from for one player or from a team basis, it's important to see it when it's broken down into what areas the XG was created in. That's just a little piece on it for me with XG. But um, yeah, look, the, the, there's nothing that from looking at these at, at the statistics that I would look at and see that uh, that um, anything was uh, was was pretty mad there. You know, we we had our. Um, we had our chances and they had their chance. Uh, should I say they took theirs, we took ours, and the game was played out in the middle of the field. We had a bit more, bit, bit more of an attacking intent when we got the ball, but you know, it's it was just one of those games. Um, this is the way we set up. This is the way. This was the most common positions that players took up. 
Really, really interesting to see where this is. You can see Twins AB Kanzev very, very close together. Target for much higher up. Cash played to the right. He played a small bit uh, deeper than normal. Buendia tucked in like he did against Newcastle. Ashley Young really hogging the middle of the field, right in the center circle. Douglas Louise almost pulling back into a back three at times. Carney then playing more to the left, as Dean Smith likes his forward player to do. Agazi up top, up really high with Ings. Um, you can see that from set pieces and so on. That's why I think El Ghazi is up there so much. From set pieces, we keep somebody up there beside Ings. Obviously, Ings was central. And Matt Target was played a small a bit higher up there on that left that that left wing as well. When I saw this, just looking at the game, it looked this looked very familiar when you look at the at the um the the positioning afterwards. This looked very, very familiar. And uh I, I look, it's it's really familiar to the um to the way we played against Newcastle as well. So uh, I know I've seen an awful lot on Twitter recently about Villain having an identity, and that's cool too. I I I don't think we do without, and I think that's fair to say that our identity uh, was sold for a hundred million. Our, our playing identity, playing identity. Let me stress that our playing identity was sold for a hundred million, um, and now we have to try and find a new identity. And and you know whether we like what we're seeing on the pitch or not, it's going to take us a bit of time to find that playing identity. So this is the way we lined up, and uh, as I say, it wasn't particularly uh, particularly mind-blowing to see this. this. is the way I would have expected us to line up, potentially maybe with Ashley Young, obviously in where Kearney is and Kearney where Young is, but, you know, they're interchanging as two eights, I think, in that situation there, Douglas Louise playing as the six. So, yeah, there's a comment there saying that there's a shades of 3-5-2 there. Algazi is a wide target man for kickouts, is nice uh, against pressing teams. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. He's one of the few people... Um, he's one of the few people that have any height in this team. It's something that I was talking to somebody about on Twitter today. So, you know, El Ghazi, I thought, had quite a good game. I thought he was thought he was really good in the first half. And we'll take a look at maybe one or two little things that uh, are a specific thing that he did in the build-up to our goal, which is good. Um, cool. So let's take a little look at, at, uh, at um, Brentford's goal. All right, so basically it was very, very simple. Brentford's goal, the build up to the goal was really simple. And this is what Brentford do when they're when they're out of ideas. Ball always comes to Pinnock. Pinnock is the man that plays the ball out of out of defense. Um, I'm gonna be a small bit harsh on Kearney here. The press here was way too slow. That's one thing actually I thought about Kearney Chuck Mwerka. I'm not here to slate him before anyone starts getting at me. I'm not here to slate him. I just thought he was faster. I thought he was faster over over patches of ground. I don't know whether he was told to hold certain areas or whether he was told not to track back into certain areas or what. Um, I'm not saying that he's not fast. I just thought that that uh, he maybe didn't move as fast as I thought he would. He's a 17-year-old kid. I'm sure there's millions more and there's a lot more to tank from him. But specifically in this area here, I thought the press was too slow. Pinnock is their man. He passes an awful lot of balls for them. He did it in the championship last year as well. Um, he is a, he's, he's a serial passer of the ball, and that's why he's in there. But Pinnock has the ball here, and he's got loads of time. Loads of time. The press was way too slow here coming from Kearney. Arguably, you could say the press was slow here coming from Buendia as well. But look at the distance Buendia would have had to cover as opposed to Carney. Um, so Pinnock just literally plays a long ball, just knocks it in over the top of Buendia out, out here. And then what happens is it becomes a foot race between Matty Cash and Rico Henry, I think it was. Now, I'm going to be pretty harsh to Matty Cash here as well. Okay, so once again, I know as well as anything else, when Henry takes the ball here, he actually miscontrols it. And Matty Cash 
doesn't particularly gain possession, but when the ball comes to him, he just swings a leg at it. Now, could he have put it out for a throw? It's a question. It's a question, right? It's a question I'm going to ask. I don't know. Haven't seen a camera angle facing the opposite way to see how quick the ball came at him. But he puts it out. He just clears the ball out and, and it trickles out over the line and it goes that direction out over the line for a, for a corner kick. Okay, so we're what? We're on six minutes here. We've had a lack of a press up top. We've had an aimless ball played down into a channel that potentially could have been put out for a throw. It was defended. It was put out for a corner. Potent like, as I say, these are two, these are pieces here. If we give Pinnock all day long back there to ping a ball over the top, he's going to do it. Or he's going to pick out a man like Janlet or Norsgaard uh, in, in the middle of midfield like they were doing an awful lot during the course of the game. But he pings one over the top. Could we put it out for a throw? Could we put it out for a corner? These are the margins, I suppose, really, that if you want to become a top team, you just don't give away corners, give away a throw. I know they're a really long throw taker as well, but... The corner, the, the goal led from a corner here, and we 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 never got our shape after the corner was taken. So let's take let's look at this corner as well here. So this is the marking for the corner. You can see Emmy Brindias here, Ings at the front post. We can see defensive tree here. Um, of Kanza is trying is, is is looking here towards Pinnock. We have uh Tunzebi, and we've Cash here also looking at Pinnock. We've Ashley Young marking Ivan Tony, and. We have the joint Emmy Brindia here marking, the, uh, I don't know, is that that's Jansen back there as well at the back post. All right. So this here, Brindia and Jansen isn't exactly a massive problem, but Young is marking, Young is marking even Tony here in the, in, in right here. And, and, and you'll see why that became an issue afterwards as well. So the corner comes in. So when the corner comes in, and the ball breaks uh, breaks out past... So the corner comes in, it's cleared, and the ball breaks back towards the man here on the back post. I can't remember who it is who played that ball in. But we've got two men out there with him, and he plays this ball across. But what happens in the meantime is that Ashley Young breaks from this position right here in the centre of the goals with Ivan Tony, breaks from that position, and runs out towards... out further away from goals and towards... basically towards the player. And he actually creates this perfect corridor corridor for Ivan Tony for the ball to be played into Ivan Tony. I know there was a little flick from the defender there as well. But Ashley Young breaking that line was pivotal for this to happen because it, when he runs past the ball, he creates that corridor between two players. Right? If Ashley Young is at the other side, then the ball, yes, the ball does come might might still come true, but we've got bodies in front of the in front uh, in, in front of Ivan Tony. Now we've got a straight corridor straight through to the penalty area and it's pretty simple. From what Ivan Tony does here. Okay, so this is the, and once again, these are the lapses in concentration. You don't expect it from a 36, 37 year old uh, Premier League winner, Serie A winner, but it happened. And I know, look, maybe we can ask questions why he was asked to mark Ivan Tony, but look at it. You can see there's a corridor there. And if that corridor is there, it's like in a game of pool, in a game of pool or snooker, if you were almost snookered behind the ball, but you've got, you can hit just one area on that, on, on the ball. And if you hit it, you pot it. Like, you can't hit any other side of the ball. Like, nine times out of ten, when you hit it, you pot it, It's it's and it goes down as a great shot. But what it really was was a bad snooker. So in this instance here, Ashley Young, who's come too far, he's created that perfect corridor. He's actually created an area to aim into, which is aimed in there. Yes, it does get the little flick, and Tony bangs it into the back of the net. I've highlighted target here as well, because target comes off the, car, comes off the post like a rocket to try and get out, of, out here. But, so target is actually in a really good position here. but 
but Ashley Young should be back. Ashley Young should be back there, closer to Tony. Less, you know, he shouldn't be as far out here because from from wh- what Ashley Young seems to think here is that I'm here for the break. If this ball breaks to me, we we've got a break for goal. But we hadn't finished defending the game yet. We hadn't finished defending the, the 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 passage of play, should I say yet? So it was for me. It was it was. Look, it was just individual mistakes. I don't think the corner should have been given away in the first place. The press wasn't there. And then Ashley Young just overran his mark here, created the perfect corridor through to Ivan Tony, and Ivan Tony does what he does. Stuck in the back of this. Very unfortunate. Let's look here as well. This is the like this is the corridor that I'm talking about. Look at this. So, so the ball is actually played at this at this point here. It's a bloody good ball. Don't get me wrong. It's a very good ball in, and that touch does throw everybody off here. But look what I'm talking about with the corridor here. You know, you play that ball hard and fast in through there. People are going to, like, Ashley Young doesn't want to go and try and intercept this ball coming back towards his goals. He doesn't know where he's going to flick that ball to. He's going to let that ball run across him. So, like, he's just in the wrong position. And the ball comes to Ivan Tony, and look at the space he has around him. There's there's no Villa player within an ass's roar of him there. And, and, and look, he just stuck in the back of the net. Poor defending, very, very poor defending, and something something I think is fixable. It is fixable by positioning and so on. UG mentions there, is this a general issue with zonal marking? But see, I don't think it was zonal marking as well, because when we look here at the when we look at how they, they set up marking for corners, Ashley Young was actually man marking Ivan Tony. Um, I think they I think they operate a mix between the two. You can see here two and Zabi isn't actually really marking anybody here. Um, and you can see that there's Rikanza really isn't really marking anyone here. Matty Cash is probably probably asked to pick up Pinnock there. And and that's common enough to have your two center halves. I'm not going to say not marking anyone, but to try and at least keep one of them free so that they can attack that ball and they aren't hindered by bodies in front of them. But when something like this happens, and we defended the corner really well, it's what happened after the corner was the issue. What happened after the corner was the issue. You know, we didn't get into any defensive structure at all in that space. Um so, look, we'll forget about the goal. Goal happened, and it was all about how we were going to respond. And we responded pretty well. And I'm going to attempt to do something gas here now in a minute, lads. And this won't really, um, this mightn't translate well to the audio podcast, but let's have a look. Let's have a look. So, <laughs> this is my idea of an interactive board. Interactive board. So, this is why I kind of like that Sky, um, Sky video cam whatever you want to call it over they start tapping it and they start moving things around so this is kind of the setup that we had this is the this is where the players were in position for our our goal so we can see two and zabi and kanza were, were were back louise was was coming forward but he was in that in that withdrawn position ashley young was was holding the middle of the uh the middle of the the the, the center circle matty cash was wide right Agassi was up front, was was very far forward, almost near Ings, where Carney was coming in support as well. And Buendia was actually, Buendia was coming through like a train on that side as well. But the ball comes from Emmy Martin as out to Matt Target. Matt Target picks it up on the left. And like they're going, Matt Target just plays a ball into the corner, speculative ball into the corner. And... Danny Ings comes out and collects that ball, but Danny and I will show. I'll show you in real life in, in in from still shots in a moment what happens with this. But Danny Ings' movement there was fantastic. It was brilliant movement against against the back three. They fell for it hook line and sinker, and they all moved in unison with him to kind of corral him in the corner. 
But what makes it even better was El Ghazi comes to support him. So Ings know, like the, the defenders know that Ings, and they let him come out of the corner, which isn't exactly the worst thing to do. So when Ings kicks, picks that ball up in the corner, he turns. El Ghazi is there. It's still three on two. And in the meantime, Carney is moving over towards them to make it three on three. Ings plays the lovely one-two with El Ghazi and picks it up just on the edge of the area. At this stage, Kearney kind of backs out and leaves a ton of space right at the edge of the area where Buendia is standing. Ball comes just ball comes across uh, across the area to Buendia. Buendia sticks it in the back of the net. Okay, so it was a really well worked goal. That one-two between Ings and El Ghazi opened the whole show together, but it wouldn't have been able to do that only. The three defenders fell hook, line, and sinker for Danny Ings. Danny Ings dragged all of them into the corner. And in fairness to Pinnock, Pinnock does a great job of recovering and trying to get back out. And he gets into a pretty decent position against Buendia. But Buendia has the freedom of Villa Park outside there. And he should have been able to pick his spot. Rapid goal. Brilliant goal. But Ings' movement and then the one-two, the clever pass from El Ghazi, he puts it into a perfect spot, which really makes three people redundant, you know, from, from that that press that Brentford had. Ings comes through, passes it to Buendia, and Buendia has Rico Henry and Pinnock over there, but they're way too far away from him to get, get near him to score the goal. And let's take a look at that as well here with some still shots. So here's the lead-up to the goal. So Ings comes across... Uh, or starts from central and moves backwards towards Ayer and drags Ayer out of the center of defense. Ayer is playing centrally, Jansen to the right and Pinnock to the left. He drags Ayer out of central center of defense. Jansen being on the right-hand side goes to him also. So we've got two center halves in there. Pinnock, uh, it was dragged over to the right-hand side as well because of, uh, because of Kearney running through. And you can see here that Rico Henry is busting a nut to get back there to get at Buendia. Buendia is nowhere near where he, he needed to be to get the, get the pass here. But the amount of space created by Danny Ying's movement across the back three to pull Ayer down into the corner where he's not, where he doesn't want to be. Jansen fell hook, line and sinker and ran in there as well. He probably he probably needed to because of where Al Ghazi's starting position was and where Al Ghazi ended up. But Ings gets the better of Ayer in, 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 the, in the corner, takes control of the ball. Ayer steps off him. Ings comes out. And then we move on to this piece. So Ings plays a lovely one-two with El Ghazi. And this is after the ball is played with El Ghazi. And Ings has that ball here on the edge of, this, edge of the area. Now, what we can see in this instance here is Buendia has now got his way on, right onto the, to the, to the um, edge of the, of the box. But Pinnock and Henry have come back and they're now goal side in pretty good positions. I mentioned they did an awful lot to get into those positions. They're in very good positions, but the two boys are too far away from Buendia. Carney does a does a brilliant job here. I'm just after actually seeing him here. Carney does a brilliant job here of being a decoy runner because because Brentford have four people in the corner. We've only got three, and we also have um, Ashley Young running through here as well, who doesn't doesn't really do anything. He holds up his run, but the three Brentford players here that are trying are keeping an eye on on Carney. They have to. Buendia has an absolute acreage here. The ball comes across the edge of the area, right onto where the D is. Buendia picks it up there and buries it in the back of the net. So the cleverness that I'm talking about here is where the space, the space that, that, that Ings vacated to get the to get the ball to create the goal, that space stayed there. And Buendia's lovely movement. So Buendia forced the two boys to go back into the box to keep that space there right on the edge of the area, which was a dangerous space. Buendia knows he's a small man. He knows that he doesn't want to cross the ball, an aerial ball in there. He wants that ball out there in space so he can turn and shoot. And he gets it out there in space and he 
pings it into the back of the net. Absolutely wonderful movement from the two, from from uh, Ings, El Ghazi, Buendia, and Carney to, to to some extent there, and how they manipulated and moved those players around. Um, you know, I saw in, in real time it looked like a really good goal, and this looked like when I looked at, looked at it back again, I saw it. Uh, I, I must have watched about four or five times the different runs that you could see. El Ghazi's work to get that to to get back there to play that one two. That one two was brilliant. You can see that he just. Ings' Ings's movement around to take that to take the second ball off 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 uh, El Ghazi was brilliant as well, but really really great goal and gives me great heart and great great excitement going into these games as well because Danny Ings has been absolutely phenomenal. You know he's got little ball, he had, like you know that's what he does when he gets the ball. He he does something with it and he's got two goals and an assist so far, and this was an absolute cracking assist as well. So. Kudos to the lads on that goal uh, because there was a lot of work went into it and it worked perfectly for them. And you can see how they were trying to manipulate defenders, making sure when they got back on goal side that they were able to keep that space outside. And Buendia did what he does best in that instance. So we spoke about Kearney, Chuck Mueka as well, getting into that position. And, and I spoke at the start whereby I thought at times maybe the game might have passed him by. And that's not a slight on him. He's a 17-year-old kid. But let's take a look at some of his numbers from uh, from the game yesterday. So he played 62 minutes, 23 touches from football reference. He had 23 touches. He had 16 passes. 13 of them were uh, on target, giving him an 81.3% success rate. His passing distance was... Uh, was 200 yards. Um, that was cumulative passing distance, obviously. He had no shots. And he had no shot-creating actions. He had two dribbles. One of them was successful for 50% successful dribble rate. He had 16 carries. So dribbles and carries are, are, are different. So a carry could be just shifting the ball out of your feet and moving it onwards a small little bit. He had 16 of those, but only for 20 yards progressive. So, you know, the, the carry stat to me is... Is a bit overinflated. I, I, it's it's the amount of yards that you that you that you move it for. For me, is is, is a bigger one. Like that sixteen is it, it is overinflated, and and I don't really like how it's how it's calculated. But it is what it is, and 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 I think you have to look at what, how many carries they have for the amount of progressive distance. And he actually had fifty six yards was what he carried for, but only twenty of them were forward uh, as a progressive distance. So so that's why we put that in there. Uh, his pass types: he had five of uh, five passes. Uh, short passes for them on target for 80 percent eight and eight from a medium uh, a medium distance which uh, is nice to see and he had one long pass go on target um as well uh defensive actions he had no tackles he was dribbled past twice and he had a very low pressure rate so um this is why uh, i wanted to highlight this as well because this is why i think the, i thought the game passed him by Maybe he didn't get in the ball as much as I wanted it, only having 23 touches or so in the game based on, on, on the, the, the stats I saw. Um, and then his defensive, he didn't really offer anything to us defensively. Now, once again, I don't know what the calls were from the sideline. I don't know if Dean Smith just wanted him to be that uh, an anchor up top for us, you know, to play, play further forward. But it, it was something that, uh, you know, I just wanted to take a look at as well. And this is why. So I, I thought the game slightly passed him by, but I didn't think he was bad. And this is probably why I thought that, because I didn't see any tackles from him. I didn't see, any, see many pressures from him. And, you know, that, I suppose, on the eye test, that's probably what made me think that in, in my mind's eye. Don't get me wrong. Kraken player. Don't see any issues with him whatsoever. 
I'm just talking solely about this one game. Um, his touches map, he was a bit all around the field, which is okay. He got them in clusters. Uh, you can see here he didn't like his touches came all the way around the field. His passes also as well, more so to the left, based on where uh, he played most of his most of the game was on the left hand side, not specifically on the left hand side, but further to the left hand side of the field. And we can see a very very faint heat map down here that shows he did try to stick to the left hand side of the field there as well um, when he was picking up the ball and a lot of his, his starting positions came from there massive player massive potential someone that will build in confidence and to be honest with you somebody who probably didn't even know he was going to be starting 24 hours before the game so massive kudos to Karen Chuck Moeka um, huge, huge, huge kudos and big balls on Dean Smith to put him in there when he could have put Connor Horan in there instead. Could have put Connor in there. He could have played Ashley Young at the 10 position, but he didn't. Knows Connor is probably on his way out the door, much and all as I wouldn't like to see it. Played the young kid, played Kearney. People have been screaming for it. Kearney went out there, looked the part as a Premier League footballer, and there's a lot, lot more to come from him. And he's a bloody exciting player. Whether he stays with Villa or goes on loan, I don't really care. He is, he's going to be a good, good player, and he's going to get minutes no matter where he plays this season. So let's take a quick look at some of the comments there, guys. Um, where did I lay off? Uh, leave off there as well. Uh, so Yes, when Bailey, Troy, McGinn, Ramsey, and Mings are back, we're going to be uh, a proper force. Yeah, absolutely agree. Agree with you there, John. Completely agree. Um, which which you there? I, like we haven't even seen what this team is capable of yet. We haven't seen any pace in this team because we just don't have any, and that's that's going to be Troy, Bailey, McGinn. That's the pace in, in our team, and Watkins. Obviously, you know we've only seen Watkins for what. 18 minutes, I think it was all he got uh, Got uh, yesterday. And he got a header at the back post. And he got a shot off at the goalkeeper. And I tell you, know, if he played the full game, who knows what, what he would have scored. But look, we haven't even seen him. We haven't really seen him yet. So there's a lot of excitement to have here. A lot of excitement that we should have here with regards to the team. Um, Rob Henry says, when I was 17, took me all morning to get out of bed. Carney is fast for a 17-year-old. Yeah, I'd imagine so. I'd imagine he is uh, in comparison. Um, Cash seems off the pace, misjudging the ball over his head. He hates he hates getting better, and he certainly was making better runs going forward. Um, I think he is, yeah, yeah. He, he's very good in support as a wingback. Brilliant. I don't, and I don't... This, I'm not disappointed with his defensive work against Watford. I think the whole team was a small bit below par. Thought he was really good in this game. Actually, apart from that, I just and I said I was being really harsh on him. Could maybe put it up for a throw. I'd love to see an, a, a, an alternative angle to see that if uh, how fast the ball came at him because he might have only had a split second to react. I, I, I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, yeah, so he says that Ali should have come out much earlier, by the way, in the 60 minutes, not the 80 minutes. I Look, I suppose the biggest thing there is sports scientists have an awful lot of a say in that as well, how many, but talking about loads and the body and stuff like that and what he was able for if he only trained for one day prior to that. Maybe they didn't want to risk him and, and, and so on. But look, I, I agree with you. If he was on for a bit longer, who knows what would happen. Um, Ad says he's personally looking forward to Jake, Jacob Ramsey this season. Saw him last week and he just seems to have bulked up somewhat over the summer. Absolutely A1. Delighted he got called into the 21 squad. Um, I think he's going to be a big player for us, regardless of whether we bring someone in or not this season, because I think he's going to be a bit of an enforcer in there, and he's and, and he does tackle well uh, and carry the ball too. So I, I like Jacob Ramsey. He's going to be he's going to have his good days. He's going to have his bad days, like every 20-year-old, but he looks very mature inside there, and and, and he's got the got the stockiness, I think, to, to compete in there too. 
Um, I think that's an interesting piece as well. Um, that's an interesting piece, Luke. Too many players don't know their positions. I wouldn't say that they don't know their positions, but I'd say too many players haven't played it, haven't played a lot of time with each other, and the fragmented off season has been an issue um, from that point of view as well. Um, so it's uh, the fragmented issue, fragmented off season coupled with all the injuries we've had so far this season and COVID pieces. I think it's just coming back to bite us at the moment because we can't get any stability, fluidity, or familiarity with, it, with, with within the team from a tactical point of view. So it, you're obviously going to struggle when you've got situations like that because uh, specifically in the back four and the midfield four, you want to get units in those areas. And I know swapping in wingers and stuff like that is okay, but when you've we've had three different midfield partnerships in the first three games of the season, and that's you know that that's very tough, especially when you play three in midfield. Um, Anything else there? Yeah, uh, I agree with Rob again. Think Algazi had his best game for a while, ignoring cup, the cup against the lower league opposition. Yeah, kudos to Algazi. Absolutely. Thought he played really, really well. Um, I thought he played really well indeed. Um, um, Luke, this one is interesting. It looked to me as Brentford didn't seem to be worried by Algazi, whereas Buendia was marked out of the game. They allowed Algazi space, so he kept going down that side. I think that we manufacture space down that side because I think that it's just a, ha a holdover from uh, the Jack Grealish era. And I think the team goes to it almost by muscle memory. Um, that's, but it's, you know, it, they also play Rico Henry. They also usually play Rico Henry a small bit further forward, but Rico Henry was, was played to mark on Buendia. So you're absolutely right there as well. Like the other right, the right-sided um, fullback, if you want to call him, is Canos, who's, a much it was a much more attacking player he's kind of converted into a right-sided uh wing back as well so um maybe that space wasn't left by design maybe it was just there because they had a much more attacking player on that side they play an awful lot of their balls through there as well when onyeka is there onyeka was a big loss for them as well and like look I, I still think we should have beaten Brentford because he was a huge loss. But um, I don't know whether I would go so far as to say is they get, that they didn't respect El Ghazi and they weren't worried by him. I just think that we have ways of manufacturing space in that side of the field. And it's just a holdover from last year's tactics. And I think El Ghazi knows how to play out there for sure. Um, what else have we here? Um Yeah, I agree that as well. Uh, when Watkins came on alongside Ings, uh, it was nice to see because everyone has wondered what the hell is going to happen there. And you could see that they kind of interchanged. Ings came, dropped a small bit deeper. Watkins stayed up top. They were able to interchange. Um, Watkins was able to go out wide. He ended up at the back post for that headed chance at the very end. would have been absolutely sweet if he'd scored it. But... Um, like the potential that they have, and they're going to take two or three games to get up to speed with each other as well. But the potential they're going to have with, um, you know, a Leon Bailey in there as well, and and a Bertrand Troy, the unpredictability of our forward line is going to be quite scary as well. I think so. Um, and Luke, yeah, Carney had a poor game, though I don't blame him as he wasn't getting the support needed that you would from more settled side. Mm, I'm not going to say that he didn't have the support, but I just think that like he found out 24 hours before, like roughly 24 hours before that he was going to be coming in there instead of um instead of a another whether it be jacob ramsey or john mcginn so um yeah look it's it's tough it's tough for him the way the game they're passing by but what he did he made some fantastic runs as we highlighted like that goal wouldn't be scored only for the fact that his run out towards the corner kept people out there and he didn't drag him into that space that that's what they were trying to manufacture was the space in the edge area edge of the area there so he was cute enough at 
Sports Social Podcast Network. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.